I didn't put the finances as high a priority as I wish I would have. And I, I think that's the one bit of advice is get somebody who's, who's looking out for you in terms of your finances when you're caregiving. Hi, I'm Bobby, a certified caregiving consultant and educator. In addition to presenting at caregiver conference and webinars, I work one-on-one -on -one with family caregivers to help them find ways to deal with dementia behaviors. And I'm her husband, Mike. I'm a certified caregiver advocate, a certified music therapist, and I speak at caregiver conferences also. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. Our goal here is to focus on the caregiver, offer some practical insights, and share some emotional support. And maybe we'll share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter's the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. That always helps, too. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you know, memory care facilities are very, very expensive. And the cost of care for someone with dementia is continuing to increase as more and more people are diagnosed with these devastating brain diseases. That's absolutely true. In our area, it's not at all unusual for $7,000 a month. And more and more people are not going to be able to afford it. And more and more beds are not going to be available, which is going to raise the cost as well. Which brings us to today's guest, who's been a family caregiver her entire adult life, taking care of her grandparents, parents, and sister. In caring for her father with dementia, the out-of-pocket costs put her into financial ruin, and she had to eventually declare bankruptcy. She is AARP's national family and caregiving expert. She has more than 35 years serving and advocating for older adults. We are pleased to welcome Amy Goyer. Amy, thank you so much for being with us. We talked to a guest on the show previously who actually lost their home because of the cost of being a caregiver. So we are so glad to have you with us. I mean, if it can happen to you, it can happen to anybody. Right. That's what I tell people. You know, I am, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I've worked in this field. Uh, I, you know, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but I started my career as a music therapist. Huh. Um, I have a degree in music therapy. I was a registered music therapist. That was before the certifications, but I think I was actually grandfathered in with the, with the uh, certifications, but, um, you know, so I've worked in this field of aging my entire career and also been caregiving for many different situations and many different family members and friends. And it's still hard for me. And it was very difficult financially, um, especially because I was caring for multiple family members at the same time my mom, my dad, and my sister, they were located in different places. I had been based in the Washington, D.C. area. I went out to Arizona to take care of my parents. My sister was in Maryland. Uh, my mom had had a stroke at a young age of 63. So my parents had already gone through a lot, all of their savings, essentially, because my dad developed Alzheimer's disease. And then he kind of, I think, made some decisions that weren't to his advantage, um, and so by the time I got involved, I didn't have any savings left. And, um, and then like, the other thing is dementia, you know, it's, it's a long haul. Um, someone who has Alzheimer's, you know, dad lived with it for at least 12 years, probably longer before we even realized. And, and it just, it's just a long, long time. And I, I was able to keep both my parents at home, which I'm very proud of. And I feel very good about. 
have no regrets about caring for my parents. I do wish I'd had more financial advice, though. <laughs> I'm not, I'm a caregiving expert, not a financial expert. Well, you know, I, I saw uh, in, in doing the research that you juggled two homes, a long distance relationship, work at different levels, right? Full-time, part-time, remote, et cetera, et cetera. And also the caregiving and looking out for the family members. And I thought, oh my God, holy crap. <laughs> how could how could you possibly, you had to feel like you were in a round room looking for a corner sometimes. Well, you know what I, I always said is I wished I could clone myself. Mm. You know, that was the hardest thing is I could only be in one place at one time doing one thing, you know? Right. And um, on one hand, it taught me to be very, um, uh, live in the moment and be very, <laughs> you know, focused in the here and now, but, um, it, but it was really hard. And, um, in fact, I actually had at one point I was managing four properties, it, the place that I rented here in the DC area, my parents' home that I had moved into and took over paying for in Arizona, our farm in Ohio, where my sister lived, but, um, I was basically managing my parents' finances. And so that was part of that. And then my parents lived in the senior community for three years Well, when I first moved out there. And then they later moved back in the house with me. You know, I, so basically I was managing that place too and dealing with any problems they had and all of that kind of thing. And then working full time and traveling for work and long distance relationship and yeah, you name it. And one, one of the things I saw and a lot of folks don't have from their um, carries, if you will, is your parents had an estate plan and a financial plan in place, which, you know, Bobby does a presentation called Prepare to Care, and it's looking at those things. And we've talked a number of times with elder care attorneys and whatnot about having these plans in place. And your your parents did have that, but it was still difficult and caused financial hardships. Exactly. Yeah. You know, my parents did plan and, um, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, quote, blame them. I don't blame them. They, they planned. My dad was a college professor and my mom had worked, you know, on and off in her career. She had a master's degree and she had taught and worked in various places. So um, they had worked with a financial planner and they had long-term care insurance and they um, did have investments and savings. And then dad had pensions from his um, universities and mom had social security. So, you know, they really did their best to plan. Like I said, there were some decisions made towards, you know, close leading up to dad's Alzheimer's diagnosis where they weren't necessarily making decisions in their own best interest. They were putting um, a lot of money into the farm in Ohio where, um, they really needed that money for their own care going forward. Uh, but otherwise, you know, they did their best. But who can really understand the length of time and the cost of care and just the cost of living going up? One of the things that I'm learning now is the long-term care insurance. A, a number of companies are now refusing to cover dementia care because they're realizing how long it takes and how expensive it is, which is going to make it even more difficult for the everyday family. Yes, long-term care insurance has changed a lot. My parents got their policies probably in the 1980s, I think. Mm. 
um, maybe the late 1970s, you know, pretty early on. And they had great policies that covered home health, level of care, assisted living, and skilled nursing. And they were primarily on the home health, except for mom was in a nursing home for rehab for a few months, but they were at the home health level. And so neither one of them ran out. You know, their dad still had money when he passed away and he was collecting on it for about nine years. So that was lucky. But the policies available now are different, as you say. Um, Again, I'm not a long-term care insurance expert, but I know that um, it's really, really important to talk with your financial advisor and find out if it really is the best thing for you financially. Because again, policies vary a lot and, um, and people's financial situations vary as well. And it's interesting that you say that because back in the, the mid-90s, maybe, or maybe even the early 90s, I was a federal employee. I'm a retired federal employee. As soon as they offered long-term care, I jumped on it, right? So I was in my 40s when I jumped on it. And about every year or two, I get this notification from the long-term care company saying, you know, you have an old, old policy. You should upgrade. We're now on 3.2, and you have 1.0. And at first, I looked at it, and I thought, yeah, there's a lot of things that are covered under the policy that I have that aren't covered under the new and they're covered at a different level <laughs> and I'm going to stay at this antiquated policy. And, and in fairness, insurance companies, uh, whether it be health insurance, life insurance, et cetera, et cetera, they're in the business to make money, not lose money. So they certainly want to get me out of this really good old policy and into a not quite as good new policy. But yeah, I've resisted. But there's also incidental costs that are covered. And I believe that's where you ran into the issues of other costs associated with the, with the care. Yeah, my, my parents' policy was interesting. It was a flat rate uh, per day. And that amount went into their checking account on a reimbursement basis at the end of every month. So I could determine how that money was used, essentially. But clearly, it was used. And then we had check-ins with them um, periodically and you know, showing how we were spending the money. But basically, I used it you know, to pay for caregivers for my dad. But many policies say you have to go through an agency. Um, and the money goes to the agency to pay, which is sad because sometimes the money won't go as far that, that way if you're getting caregivers through an agency. In the consulting that I do, I find that, you know, some of the people who are caring for their loved ones at home are now getting close to the point where they're going to have to make the decision to, to place that person in a care home. And if they're expecting Medicare or Medicaid to pay for it, then they're way down at the bottom of the list. They're going to take the private pay before they take that person. And then there is the challenge of dealing with these agents, this form of of financing, and they're finding that very difficult. Uh, if I understand, you had problems dealing with that as well. Right. So my parents did not qualify for Medicaid. Their income was too high for Medicaid, but of course not high enough to just make a caregiving a breeze. It was, you know, many people fall kind of through the cracks like my parents where um, their income with dad's pension and their social securities was too high. Uh, my dad did qualify for veterans aid and attendance benefits. 
And um, before I get into that, I just want to remind people that Medicaid is administered by the states. So every state has some different eligibility and different rules around Medicaid in their state. So I urge you to, uh, if you're concerned about this, contact a Medicaid planner, contact the Medicaid office, try to really get a sense of what can be done in your state for someone to qualify for uh, Medicaid for long-term care. When would you say is the time to do that? Contact. That's such a good question because most of us don't even think about it until all of a sudden, you know, there's a need. I think it's really helpful if you, you know, when you are just looking ahead, you know, Bobby, you talk about preparing to care. When people are doing their estate planning and all of those planning processes, getting their advanced directives together, just look into what are the what are the rules in my state for Medicaid? What would I, if I got to a place, if I got, you know, try different scenarios. If I got dementia, if I got to a place where I couldn't stay in my home, if I needed this level of care or that level of care, try to work that, all those things out and figure out, are there things I need to be doing? You know, Medicaid has a look back period. If you've given money away and then they might need that back. You know, there are different rules that apply to your home and it's just really, really complicated. And I don't say that to make people think, I don't want to mess with it. I say that to say, get some help from someone who is very well-versed in your area. My parents um, had worked with an estate planning attorney, um, you know, practice to put all of their, put their living trust together and all their advanced directives and everything. They had one attorney who specialized in benefits. So he advised me throughout this whole process on benefits, Medicaid benefits, um, but then he helped us through applying for aid and attendance benefits for my dad from the VA and did not charge us for that. I don't believe they're allowed to charge for that you know, specific process, but my parents had kind of done a whole package with them. And so um, it worked out. And, and incidentally, one of those weird small world thing is that that attorney turned out to be his father had been one of my dad's graduate students mm-hmm. um, as a professor. So he took really good care of us. But, um, you know, he knew all the rules. He knew the laws. He knew how to look at my parents' financial situation and their care needs and help us figure out what was the best thing in Arizona. Again, I work at the national level. You know, I worked in the state of Ohio for many years, but that's been 30 years ago. So I wouldn't even be that much of an expert on what goes on in Ohio now. So, uh, you know, you no one should expect themselves to know everything there is to know about Medicaid or any other public benefits in their state. Now, with all of that, with all of that, which your parents put in place and, you know, having somebody that could advise you through this, apparently it collapsed. I mean, you ended up in, in bankruptcy. Now, again, your situation, you know, being pulled in four or five different directions all at the same time is extraordinary. But the financial aspects of it pretty much apply to everybody. And some of us don't do well in dealing with finances. I'm lucky I've got Mike. Mike Mike takes care of that and keeps me informed on a regular basis. But I guess my question is, how do we stay out of trouble? Yeah, you know, it's really, um, despite planning and, you know, my parents started the situation out with a solid $5,000 a month income in their retirement between dad's pension and their social securities. 
And, you know, that's, that's a decent retirement income. And, you know, in their early 80s, they had refinanced the house a few times. And they had been helping family members. And they had, again, they depleted their savings. And they had some credit card debt. So they had gotten to a point when I got involved where it wasn't like we walked into it and they still had all these savings there that we could draw from and investments and that type of thing. So when you look at that way, they moved to a senior community for a few years because my parents didn't want to stay isolated in the home when dad stopped driving. And that was at the time, independent living, it was $4,000 a month. And so with their $5,000 a month income, you can imagine that I began supplementing some things. When um, $1,000 extra a month isn't really going to cover all of their medical co-pays and clothing and personal care needs. And dad had a service dog and all of his care and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So then the long-term care insurance kicked in. That helped because that helped pay for where they were living. But, you know, when they moved back in the house with me, it was because they needed 24-hour care, both of them at that point. Couldn't have afforded for them both to be in assisted living because my dad would also have needed to have an extra person. Come by, by this time, he couldn't be alone. He would be, you know, every five minutes, where, where am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? And they would have put him in some kind of a memory care. And he was not appropriate for that. He was still with it enough. You know, I mean, that's the hard thing about dementia is the right setting and the right care. And I wanted to provide them that support myself. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll be able to provide more of the care myself and save money, which it did. I did the evenings and weekends and I had caregivers that helped during the day. But, you know, I had to rent an office because my parents were living in the home and there was no room left for me to work in. So there's more expense for me personally. Um, you know, I, I still had the place in DC because, um, I I had business in the area, so I would have to fly back, but I, I, my flights might be covered, but not my lodging. And I got housemates to help pay for the the place here in DC, Mm -hmm. you know, and then that was a whole nother nightmare to deal with. I'm paying for the mortgage. I'm paying for the food. I'm paying for like clothing and anything basically that their budget, when their budget ran out every month, then I started picking things up. But when my mom passed away, remember, she's getting long-term care insurance payments and dad's getting long-term care insurance payments. And we're paying for one caregiver to care for both of them. Mom passes away and her social security and her long-term care insurance payments disappear. But we don't have lower expenses except for her medical co-pays and things because the caregiver was caring for both of them. Mm -hmm. That's really when things started to get harder and harder for me to keep up. And I, you know, during some of those years, I was using credit cards to supplement and thinking, okay, I'll pay this. And then I was moving it to a zero balance because, you know, then I'll pay this off in a year. And then I don't get it paid off in a year. And then the interest rate is 29%. So that was really where I got in trouble. And it's not like I don't know that it's not good to pay minimums on credit cards. I know that. But every month I'd be in this position of, I don't have enough cash left. I have to pay the minimum. So, you know, you're never going to get ahead with that. So by the time we got to where my dad died, you know, and again, my sister passed away. I spent a lot of money getting her house emptied out so we could sell it. And then it sold for less than was owed to the bank. And I never got that money back. So. Those things all add up. There are other complicated family situations that I won't go into. You know, they're just 
it, it, it's it, life is complicated. <laughs> so there's no one thing I can tell you. Um, everybody's situation is so unique and so different. But I can tell you that at one point, my dad's medical expenses were $10,000 a month. Towards the end of his life, I, I paid $90,000 a year just for paid caregivers. And so, you know, that's that's hard to to keep up with, despite really good planning and, and all of that. Right. The one advice I would have is, and my biggest regret is that I didn't get a financial advisor for me. I worked with my parents' financial advisor. I was so focused on being a good steward of their money. I tried to get them out of debt. I took over the mortgage. I did all these things so that their budget could be focused on their care. But I didn't you know, I, I, I spent a lot of energy in taking care of myself, <laughs> my mental health, my physical health. I did the best I could. You know, nobody nobody's 100% on that, but I probably did better than most people because I knew the need. But I didn't put the finances as high a priority, I think, as I, I wish I would have. And I, I think that's the one bit of advice is get somebody who's, who's looking out for you in terms of your finances when you're caregiving. I think that that is a wonderful takeaway from our conversation, that not only have the plan in place for the people that you're taking care of and the financial plan, as well as the whole estate issue, but also look at yourself and have a financial plan and financial protection for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's part of self-care is financial, your finances. And you don't think of that. No, you don't think of that. And so many people who are taking care of a spouse or a parent and, and trying to work at the same time um, are really being pushed to the limit. The need becomes so great and they can't afford the care facility, they have to leave their job and then everything begins to fall apart. Right. Work is, is a big piece of it. And then we get into the situation where we're looking at finding ways to pay the family caregiver, uh, you know, and I'm sure that working with AARP, that's something that's being talked about and discussed. I'm not going to ask where it is in, in the, because we, we just don't know. But this is going to become more and more critical, the, the whole finance of dementia. Right. I, you know, um, it, it's a huge priority. I mean, AARP is looking at different ways to support family caregivers. So AARP is endorsing the, the Bipartisan Credit for Caring Act, which would be a new uh, non-refundable uh, tax credit for working family caregivers. It would have been a huge help for me. And I think it would help a lot of caregivers continue to work. And therefore, that's taking care of their own financial situation and their future financial security while they're caring for others. Great information, Amy. I know I learned a lot. Bobby learned a lot. And hopefully our listeners got a lot out of our conversation today. Thank you for being a guest on this show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about this important issue. You can find more information about Amy in links to Amy's website, AARP's caregiving webpage, and AARP Facebook page on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we're dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. 
If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company.